Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to Is It My ADHD? The podcast about what it really feels like to have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. My name is Grace Timothy and I'm a writer. I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 37, after years of struggling with difficult traits and behaviours that I could never understand. Just like the two million women thought to be living with undiagnosed ADHD in the UK today, I want to better understand what ADHD feels like for women and non-binary people in whom ADHD is so often missed thanks to the fact that the diagnostic criteria and research is heavily skewed to the white male case study. On this podcast, I speak to some incredible people about their lived experience of ADHD, looking at how it can affect relationships, work, parenthood, socialising and self-esteem. My hope is that we can spread awareness of ADHD in women and non-binary people and that you'll find some comfort in knowing you're far from being alone. Because with the right support and understanding, we can be truly amazing. Today, I'm thrilled to have Gemma Stiles here to chat about her experience of ADHD. Gemma Stiles is a writer and the host of the Good Influence podcast. She is a warm and insightful voice in the spaces of mental health, feminism and sustainability, using her platform to drive awareness and action across a variety of issues. She talks very openly about her own mental health, but only recently received a diagnosis of ADHD after years spent dealing with anxiety and depression. Gemma, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That was a very nice introduction. I just sat there and was like, oh, you're complimenting me. That's nice. <laughs> oh, of course. You know, I think like they're never long enough, frankly. So I was actually um, listening to, obviously, you've spoken about ADHD a little bit now over the past year. Mm -hmm. I was listening to another podcast that you spoke on. And there is this sense, isn't there, that it's an answer that we've all been looking for for a hell of a long time. Um, and I think with anxiety and depression, you know, you may take the medications that have been prescribed, you do the work and you still feel at the end of the day, like there's something that you're not achieving in some way. Tell me about that sort of experience and that journey. Yeah. I mean, that is exactly how it felt to me, to be honest. I think it was probably, I'd probably been in, you know, some kind of contact with medical professionals about mental health for, for a, a good 10 years or so by that point and I remember yeah having that specific conversation um with a therapist that I used to see and kind of sitting there and they made me feel better than I did like I do think that they were very helpful in terms of lifting my mood to a stage where you know I, I could cope a bit better but yeah, I just remember sitting there saying like, I feel a bit better, but I don't feel like I think I'm supposed to feel like there's still just something that isn't that this isn't fixing. And I can't, I can't tell what it is. I just feel really stuck. It is a relief to kind of get that piece of the puzzle. Because I don't, I know there are, I've seen, you know, people talk, I obviously am very interested in, in conversations in this space. And I've seen a lot of people talk about it and kind of then uh, refer to kind of being misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety over the years uh, whereas 
it should have really just been about the ADHD. I, I don't think those things were untrue for me, especially at the time. But yeah, there was definitely something missing that with, you know, the benefit of hindsight um, has made a lot more things make a lot more sense. I think it's that. I mean, comorbidities are plentiful, aren't they? Yes, <laughs> They're very generous so. with those. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, depression and anxiety seem to be the two overriding. I know, obviously, with anxiety, we've also got the kind of intersections of hypervigilance and all those things around what, what it feels like to have ADHD anyway. But I think you're right with depression. They, they coexist. And I think it's more that the problem is you can't necessarily tackle one without tackling the other, right? Yeah. And I think there are different types of depression also. So it's kind of, I don't know what, what you might think of as it, this isn't the right term, but as that kind of sort of chemical depression where it's not really to do with anything. And it's, you might, you know, it's when people look at somebody and go, well, they haven't got anything to be sad about why are they depressed. And it, it doesn't matter. That isn't how it works. But there is also, you know, such a thing as kind of situational depression that can be caused or brought on by the situation that you're in. And obviously there's a lot of things that can feed into that. But trying to cope with the symptoms of something like ADHD and not even knowing what it is you're trying to cope with, but just feeling like you're not coping. It's a hard one to exactly pinpoint and it won't be the same for everyone, the kind of causation correlation thing. But I think it it makes complete sense to me why they end up going hand in hand a lot of the time. And obviously also people often only reaching diagnosis of ADHD when they've reached a crisis point within their depression or anxiety. I know that your ADHD was a sort of more like mine, a sort of accidental moment via Instagram, I believe, was it? A friend had seen a piece about ADHD and, and messaged you. My best friend had seen somebody talking on their Instagram stories about just having, who was also a woman in her 30s who had just been diagnosed and was kind of talking about the symptoms that had led to seeking that diagnosis and kind of just just things she'd struggled with through the years really and yeah so this friend of mine who I've known since I was five and knows me you know probably better than most people in the world um just kind of forwarded me these stories and was like this does sound a bit like you hope you don't mind me saying and I was like oh okay um and then obviously went into a very <laughs> very hyper focused research mode yeah and it kind of clicked as yeah a possible kind of answer really which i then i think i sat on that for don't know a good 6 months to a year i think before i actually decided to do something about it or ask someone about it and eventually yeah made a GP's appointment and honestly my the motivation for making the appointment was mostly I fully expected them to just completely fob me off and then I would be like well you know at least I've told someone and it's not just in my own head and if I tell someone and they're like "Mm, no not interested that that we're not gonna do anything about this then, you know, I could kind of just take it off my own plate a bit and stop wondering about it. Um, But actually, that's the opposite of what happened. (laughs) That GP was like, okay, I'm going to refer you. I was like, oh. And yeah, that's where it all kind of went from there, really. Those magic words, I'm going to refer you, like, on so many levels. (laughs) I know, which actually in this context is, it feels like that should be kind of the difficult bit to get. And like, sadly, with the NHS being so so overworked and underfunded as it is at the moment that isn't really the case and yeah I am one of many people who ended up going private for that diagnosis um 
because well the waiting list in the area that I was in was about a year and a half just to kind of and I'm pretty sure that was just for them to decide whether they would refer you rather whether they would fund your referral that wasn't even getting the appointment so honestly part of that I was like one I don't think I can wait that long and I was lucky to be in the position where I didn't have to and I honestly was just also thinking if I don't have to you know there are a lot of people who don't have the option to go private and at least I can take myself out of that queue and give that place to someone else. So in terms of obviously you'd um, as you were saying dealt with depression before I, I I always felt like my my issue was definitely more anxiety with little pockets of depression I think along the way but part of what I felt so useless about and I know I've seen you use that word as feeling useless was kind of an overriding sense was that I would do the work I'd read the books I would you know I mean only ever managed like four sessions here and there of therapies just because of the financial aspect of it but like I did the the work and I used to be so completely flummoxed when an episode would start all over again and all of those great things that I'd learned and try to equip myself with were just completely useless again and it was almost like firstly like this is my life forever now I'm just going to feel shit basically and secondly like whatever I'm doing to try and um, tackle it is just never going to be enough did you find you know when you then uh, became more aware of ADHD did that help in terms of you coping with that aspect of your sort of feeling that uselessness that you mentioned yeah I think I think it has you know um I think yeah going back to the depression as well I I definitely definitely remember thinking for quite a lot of years that I thought I was just always going to be a bit depressed even when I wasn't in you know a a proper kind of depressive episode I think I just kind of because it had been so long, I just kind of had the belief that even when I was good, I wasn't that good. It was fine. And like I've had like so much happiness in my life. And there's so many, so many good things in my life that I'm so grateful for. But it always just felt like there was just going to be a, a bit of sad there all the time. And I don't know actually whether I feel that way anymore. I think maybe a lot of the kind of unshiftable fog that I thought was going to be like a low level depression that I couldn't seem to shake no matter how you know good I was generally I think a lot of that might have been the ADHD and the kind of like frustration around that and just not understanding what we look at when we talk about depression and what I've definitely experienced just kind of you know losing motivation to do things that you enjoy for example is quite quite a good one and not you know not wanting to go out and do things not wanting to get off the sofa and sort something out like all of those things so I think in my head I kind of thought well you know I I still always find those things hard so I must always still be a bit depressed and actually I do I think struggling to just do stuff and motivate task initiation and all of those delightful things that are really hard um yeah I think that was that was the ADHD so I think it has made me maybe feel a bit more positive about depression not that I necessarily think I will never have worse patches of it again in my life um but I think I feel a bit more positive about the good parts I think well I mean and also there's so much correlation isn't there between a dopamine dip and as you say like a depressive episode that it's even just having that clarity of like oh, this might not be me sliding in again. It might be something completely different and I can tackle that in a, in a different way. Like, that's so empowering. I mean, that that is 
the main thing that we all end up saying, isn't it? About that's that's the power of having a diagnosis is just, you know, information is king in this scenario and just knowing what it is you're dealing with doesn't actually take any of it away really but knowing what it is and having a name for it and knowing that the name for it isn't just I'm terrible at everything (laughs) it does just make everything so much easier there's a lot less self-blame involved which even if the actual tasks aren't easier the narrative in your own head is a lot kinder and it's just yeah it's it's nicer to deal with even if it's not easier per se so on that sort of positive note of where where it has been really helpful Let's just talk for a minute about, um, I think this is something that we have in common, that there's a frustration with the kind of dialogue around ADHD, often centering around how it's a superpower. And obviously, that's a great thing in the sense of, you know, empowering language to help people who have been diagnosed, you know, take control back in some way. But actually, for you and I, it's been a source of massive struggle and challenge throughout our lives. And it's not always helpful to hear that actually you know, it's supposed to be a superpower and maybe we're not harnessing it in the right way. Tell me about how that sort of plays out in your day to day. It's a hard one that I don't want to be really negative about. I'm so admiring of the work that people do. I mean, you know, there is still, there can be a stigma against things like ADHD and, you know, other neurodivergent conditions, like in the workplace, for example, and like these conversations that people are having about no, even if people work slightly differently and not everybody will either sometimes you know someone on your team will have one of these conditions and you, you won't be able to tell but sometimes people will work slightly differently that doesn't mean they're going to be bad at their job it doesn't mean they're not going to be you know a source of massive strength in a team so I fully I understand and I really appreciate why those conversations need to be had but so much of it about yeah ADHD making you kind of you know creatively superpowered and means you can you can sometimes hyper focus and really focus on things and it can actually be like a massive strength and all of these kinds of things it just makes me a bit sad for me because it just isn't how I feel at all I over the course of my life I haven't found what I now know is ADHD to be anything other than a hindrance and a source of massive like stress and bashing to my self-esteem and it's it's just made my life worse than I think it would have been otherwise. And that does just sound really negative and rubbish. And that isn't the kind of, oh, it just doesn't really fit in with all this, you know, amazing, like positive work that people are doing. And I, I don't want to kind of poke my head into the conversation and be a real like negative Nancy about it. But but it just doesn't reflect my experience or how I feel. And I, I think you feel similarly, right? I do. And I think even me hearing you say it was making me feel like, yes, that's the finger on the button. Like I, I'm struggling to remember to take my kids pet lunch to school. Like it is impacting in ways that I, you know, I can't list in a day. It can make you feel like more of a failure and a dropout and all of those things if you're not achieving at the same rate. So I think that there is power in it. Oh, I don't know. It is, it's what people always want to hear as well, though. And I understand that too, because if you're, you know, for example, someone who maybe thinks they have ADHD or has just been diagnosed or is kind of on that journey, if you like, I I understand why people want to hear, you know, well, what are the good things about it? A podcast that I've been on before and talked about ADHD, it was kind of, that was one of the last questions they asked me. It was kind of like, what's the best thing about having ADHD? And I was like, can we just answer a different question? Because 
I don't really have an answer for that. I don't, I haven't found it to be positive. If it's added anything, it's added barriers. <laughs> That's all it's added. You almost don't want to kind of, you know, ADHD evolves, doesn't it? And the way that you cope with it evolves. So it's not, it's not like all is lost, but I think to be honest about the challenges as well as the nice bits, if there are any, I think that's really strong and really powerful. I mean, I hope so. I think I, I think there's certain parts of it that kind of, I think it's quite easy to lean towards that kind of real like girl boss culture of kind of like <laughs> 10 years ago where it was like, things are harder for us because we're women, but we're doing it and we're smashing it and we're taking over the world and all the rest of it. I kind of, I think it's quite easy to, to slip into that, which I feel is from where we are now going a little bit backwards and kind of saying, you know, this is more a slightly more difficult position to be in, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm <laughs> working through the barriers and I'm kind of like, I don't, you don't always want to have to be like smashing barriers. Sometimes you just want things to be easy. Like that is like my ultimate goal is an easy life, to be honest. Like I'm not, I'm not looking to break glass ceilings and like have, you know, I'm not looking to make things difficult to prove anything to anyone I suppose I don't know I feel like there was a longer time where I probably would have wanted to prove more of these things to myself but the older I get and the more you know the more I think society and culture and kind of the media I've been exposed to has evolved as well and is kind of getting out very much of the kind yeah the kind of girl boss like hustle culture I think I think the goals lifestyle for me now is you know like yeah just having a nice easy enjoyable life it's an ambition for peace isn't it yeah, it really is. I'm, I'm totally the same. I think, I don't know of your experience um, during all the lockdowns and everything, but I found that that simplification of life in many ways, obviously there were awful things going on at the same time, but in terms of literally our bubble of, of being just at home and having a much more simple routine and everything really showed me how much I want that too, like that piece of no hustles, no no nothing. And I think working in the sort of media in the way that we do or have done it's like fueled by hustle culture. Like you've got to be pitching, you've got to be up there with the rest of them kind of thing. And I think it's quite hard to shift that. And I think maybe like the COVID situation has for some of us acted as a bit of a reset of like, what are you actually, are you like ambitious for what is essentially going to lead to burnout or are you ambitious to be happy when you wake up tomorrow morning? Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's true for so many people. And also just looking at, you know, different elements of our lives as well in terms of I know that there's so, so many people who've looked at like their relationships slightly differently and even just in terms of, you know, friendships and am I super busy all the time and trying to catch up with all these people and actually when you couldn't, it's kind of which relationships did you really miss and who did you really want to see and kind of what did we almost manage to sort of take off our own plates? Like once it was taken away, what did we decide not to bring back again? I think that's that's been quite an eye-opener for for everyone in general. What do you think could be an answer to, I know that you talked about um, why am I so useless rather than how do I need to deal with this differently at that point? How do you think we move from from that why am I so useless? Well, having the understanding of that literal question, why, as in, you know, because the, the why am I useless thing usually for me has boiled down to I kind of go back to like the conversations I would have in my own head, like when I was particularly struggling depression wise. And it's the kind of thing where you try and simplify everything and kind of think, well, what's, you know, what's one thing I could do today? And then I've done one thing and that it's something like when you're 
in that kind of situation like doing anything feels quite impossible like brushing your teeth can feel quite impossible so what can I do today that will make me you know by the time I go to bed I'll feel like I've accomplished something and I'll feel a bit less terrible about myself and kind of making those like very very small very what feels you know quite achievable at 9am lists and then it's 9pm and you still haven't done that thing but all you've done all day is think about that one thing because it's the only thing you've said you need to do today and that's it that's the only thing you've said you need to do in order to feel vaguely like a useful human being in the world and thinking about the thing has taken up your entire brain space all day and as you know the afternoon hours tick on and you still haven't done it it's just you feel worse and worse and I think that's it's the kind of paralyzing sort of uselessness that I have always struggled a lot with and I think is one of those that that people maybe find one of the hardest to understand if they don't have the experience of it because I mean it can be something like oh I don't know I can be sat and think I'm really thirsty and like another hour will go by and I still haven't got up and got a drink or like I mean I've, I'm sure it's happened where like there's been a glass of water like in the room with me like I probably could have just reached out and picked it up and I haven't I mean I st- still don't fully understand exactly what is what is not wired right in order to make that happen but I know now that I'm not the only one who struggles with that particular thing and I think it is that moving away from the why am I useless it is I feel so much of it's about understanding that it's not being useless that there is actually a reason behind it and I think being able to kind of look at it from outside myself slightly even and say this isn't because you're useless but can you see what's happening right now that that's that's not very good is it and sometimes you know it'll still still take a while longer and sometimes it just makes you go oh okay right I see you brain I see what you're doing I'm thirsty though and I know you're gonna try and make me not drink that water but I know what you're doing so I'm gonna do it anyway I do I think there is there's definitely yeah having just that little bit more more insight into why you're acting that way can sometimes make it a bit easier to kind of identify your own patterns and just look at it and be like, I'm not doing this. Well, and there's, I think there's two sort of stratospheres that you're working within as well of like that personal relationship with yourself of not drinking or not eating properly or something that just affects you in, in isolation. And then there's also like all the crap around like capitalism and that sense of productivity being linked to making money and that sort of success model where like, you know, you're kind of, you're going to be blocked and struggle with both of those. You know, I, I, I will, as a freelancer, I'll have like a list of jobs to do as well. Like, and I have to do those things. I won't be able to pay the mortgage if I don't do them. And it's like, but that, that's part of that, that useless. And I'm putting that in quote marks, like model as well, isn't it? Because it's like, you're not able to do the things that the neurotypical society has like mapped out for you as being signs of success and prospering. That's quite hard as well. And I mean, yeah as someone who also is you know like self-employed kind of freelance model of working it is that thing you know you can't just like if I don't work I don't get paid that's that's how that's how it works which I know is kind of how it works for everyone but in terms of it's not um it's not particularly that you know I don't I don't get to a job in a morning and have a list of tasks that someone's going to check that I've completed by the end of the day kind of thing. So the the things that can be helpful in terms of, you know, 
deadlines and you know being observed doing something and like having someone to kind of keep you accountable and keep a check on you kind of thing I do have people who I work with who I'm very open about the things that I'm not very good at in terms of task management and all the rest of it and yeah we have a close enough relationship now where (laughs) they will be like um have you forgotten to do this and can you I'm reminding you you need to do this by the end of the day because that is what I need in order to get things done and I'm happy for them to do that that isn't imposed upon me it's welcomed as part of how we you know our working relationship well I was gonna say it's it's about showing the vulnerability once you've got that diagnosis to be able to admit this is what's going on I'm not frightened of that leading to me never working again but I need you to know that this these are the potential pitfalls and I would love support in these areas you know working alongside someone or like actually telling people that you work with or that you live with like my other half and my kid know that there are certain situations that I will be unhelpful in (laughs) really kind way of putting it um and so like we all kind of work around each other and and they you know god love them will compensate for me so I suppose it's that vulnerability and and honesty at saying like I need help with this actually yeah and I think there's there's so much of it as well that I think is about kind of taking away some of the shame that you kind of bake in and start to feel around it because I know like yeah a lot of the things that I'm not very good at in life not very good at kind of managing or you know being a self-starter and kind of getting on with tasks and things like that I know I felt like deeply ashamed of that over the years and not wanted people to know that that's something I'm not good at because it does feel like laziness or arrogance or or all of these depending on what it is like all these kind of negative things like it's not (laughs) it's not something to be proud of I don't think to sit there and go oh well I I do all those things last minute like that's never brought me any (laughs) any kind of pride because that isn't the way that you should do things that isn't the way that I want to do things I've kind of like clawed and scraped my way through the only way that I kind of knew how to manage it does it does feel very shameful a lot of the a lot of the things that that I have found to be my particular shortcomings when it comes to to ADHD and a lot of those you know traits that I find myself with yeah being in a position now where I don't really feel as embarrassed or kind of ashamed to say no I forgot to do that or I'm finding this really hard and you know this is why I'm finding it really hard it's also having more ideas for what to do with that as well because when you find the kind of community and all the sort of resources that are out there I mean like podcasts like this for example when you find those other people who are going through similar things that's where you're probably the most likely to find quite helpful advice in terms of like you mentioned body doubling for example like if you didn't have the kind of vocabulary for that or didn't have that as an idea had never tried it because you you know you didn't know you had ADHD you didn't know what it was like you just hadn't hadn't been exposed to these kind of coping mechanisms that people use then you know how how would you know it's it's the same as anything like we you don't know anything until you learn it right so it's just another kind of set of skills and kind of set of language to describe something that hasn't changed in you it's always been there but now you've got the words for it and you know how to ask for help with it and you know how to describe what's happening to you better so that you have better words than I'm useless I'm terrible I've got nothing done I've added nothing to this yeah there's just a lot less 
a lot less blame and shame i think i mean blame and shame is the underlying problem along all of this it's it's real annoying I have been blown away by the response to the first two series of Is It My ADHD? And we wanted to pull together a mini series on two of the topics that you've most often requested with two incredible women. Making these bonus episodes possible is Loop, my go-to for reducing the angst, distractions and overwhelm of various noises. Loop's earplugs are specially designed to reduce sound in a variety of environments. So if you just want to take the edge off the bass and mid-tones but still enjoy a gig, for example, you'd go for the experience pair. If you're at a party and struggling to have a chat with someone, go for Engage. And if you just want to turn down the volume and relax or concentrate in a busy office, go for Quiet. That's my choice for supermarkets and the train, FYI. Reducing noise can, of course, help with focus, overwhelm, overstimulation and sleep, as well as emotional regulation. They've helped me tackle many of the situations I would previously have found very draining. And now I wouldn't be without that little pot of quiet in my pocket. Have there been moments since your diagnosis where you find yourself avoiding the potholes of before that would have floored you, sort of like with a conscious effort? I think more so in in little ways, like trying not so much to kind of like put off small tasks around the house, for example, like, and try and not walk past something. I, I'm trying to be one of those people who's like, if you walk past something and it's like that job takes less than one minute then you do it there because otherwise you'll just you'll you'll keep putting it off later and later i've definitely been able to look at it and say look that's a pothole a lot more than i would have done before so i think maybe even if i've still had the kind of delay i haven't added the extra delay that comes from then like kicking myself about it for several days so like yes i probably still do have you know I forget things and I'm a little bit lax with deadlines and, you know, all all the rest of these things that are annoying. But I've definitely made it better because I don't try and hide it anymore either. Um, Which I think has been a really big thing for work, especially. Um, And yeah, rather than, you know, colleagues and people who who I work on projects with and things, rather than you know panicking and trying to hide things until the last possible minute that I you know hadn't got as far into this project as I wanted to or uh hadn't started that thing I was meant to finish last week because it was in the calendar last week and now it's this week so I haven't seen it this week and it's it doesn't exist in my brain anymore (laughs) I've completely forgotten about it I don't try and hide it and pretend that I'm doing better than I am anymore and that has actually been really useful and has made me better because I'm not not trying to hide how badly I feel like I'm doing and I I will be very open now and say I'm a bit stressed because I wanted to be in this position and I don't feel like I am I'm getting a bit frustrated with myself etc etc and kind of yeah not feeling like there's a whole extra layer of that kind of like hidden awfulness to it has been so much better and then yeah it takes away a lot of the brain space that 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 would have used and kind of yeah frees it up to hopefully do something more useful with it doesn't always work like if I'll tell you what I get the most hyper focused on is things like anxieties (laughs) so if there's something happening in my life that I'm finding stressful I find it really really hard to switch off and get other things done 
which has always been true. And I kind of always had some of the words for that because I know that I've suffered with, with anxiety for a long time and being in any kind of really anxious state makes it hard to do other things because it's, you know, physically it's, it's not a very, not a very pleasant state to be in. I wouldn't say that, you know, having the knowledge of my ADHD has, has meant that I still don't fall into the potholes or, you know, hit the potholes sometimes, but it's definitely made it easier when I do. I think, God, I think that's why I've been like long-term worried about medication because I know that it can enhance your focus and everything. And I think deep down, I'm like, what if it enhances my health anxiety or my fixation with, you know, certain social situations or relationships? And then I I am stuck there for days, potentially, like I'm never going to sleep. That's so interesting. Yeah, that's that's hard. The one thing I will say, I think, I feel like the way that most of that medication works is it doesn't last for days. So if that yeah, makes sure. you feel yeah. any better whatsoever, not that, you know, I'm trying to give you it medical does. advice on a podcast because obviously I'm not qualified and I wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't deem myself <laughs> worthy to. But that was that was something that um that kind of helped me when I was trying different things as being like, you know, this isn't it's not like antidepressants where you have to kind of wean onto them necessarily and then you know it takes a while to kick in and then it takes a while to go as well it is it's well most of the kind of first line treatments I think are quite quite one day to the next so that was a bit easier I think everyone with anxiety will be able to to understand but when you're in that white knuckle ride and then someone's like but you know tell me about it what what's wrong and you and as you vocalize you're thinking what like, how is this the thing that I can't sleep over? And I mean, and how am I ever going to get out of this without like, well, how? I don't know. I do like to have all the information available. That's the thing. So things like, I don't know, when I get into you know, anxieties that are maybe health related, then I don't know, looking up like statistics and things I can sometimes find helpful because I think... Uh, which is kind of a, th- a throwback to kind of some things I learned in therapy about how to deal with anxiety is to kind of like logic the hell out of it and be like yeah like you're telling yourself a story that probably isn't true so why don't we look at what the reality is likely to be rather than the story that you're telling yourself so I do try and do that a little bit as well and in terms of I think when I get really into into researching something some of that will involve kind of purposefully researching and looking for stories where someone's maybe been in a similar position and it's turned out absolutely fine and sometimes I managed I'll find that and I find the example of where something happened and it was absolutely fine and then I'm like okay put the phone down now for a minute that's that's what I wanted to find if we're gonna cling on to something why don't we try and choose to cling on to this positive example until you know more information presents itself down the line kind of thing what do you grieve for most, do you think, if anything, about life before your diagnosis? I Honestly, I don't think I would say anything. I really don't. I think as much as ADHD overall has been something that I think has affected my life generally quite negatively, finding out that I have ADHD has been nothing but overwhelmingly positive which probably sounds quite counterintuitive but it the fact you know it it was always there so that hasn't changed but in terms of pre-diagnosis post-diagnosis it's only been positive for me I would say I don't think there's been anything that's been really bad and maybe you know I've been quite lucky I've been 
very open about mental health stuff over the years already so I feel like I was maybe a little bit primed to kind of have those conversations and let people know and kind of talk to people in different ways I know that you know not everyone who gets that kind of diagnosis will have the overwhelming support of people around them and I've been really really lucky in that respect so I know that could have been different but yeah no I honestly I, I think the diagnosis portion of it has only been a good thing for me to be honest were there things about your life pre-diagnosis that now that you understand through the lens of ADHD where those things perhaps came from so for example I've like really struggled with friendships over the years either I've destroyed or it's been that out of sight out of mind thing where I've let people go and that's that I like still grieve that now because now I understand why those, those things happened I would have been able to put steps in place to kind of stop that from happening and have those relationships still in my life so is there an, any aspects of life before that was probably driven by ADHD that now you think yeah I do th- I, the friendships thing I can can relate to quite hard like the keeping in touch with people and kind of you know I'm one of those really annoying friends who is like oh I'm a bad texter kind of thing which I mean you hear that and you're like oh fine like it's just <laughs> it just sounds like such a rubbish excuse but depending on what frame of mind I'm in anyway I do get quite bad with communication and one of the reasons can be I think if I'm if I'm quite sort of oh, I don't know just stressed and overstimulated and feel like there's too much going on anyway maintaining text conversations with you know lots of people over long stretches of time it can just sometimes feel and I don't mean this to sound terrible if any of my friends ever hear this but it's kind of like you send a text to someone but then they reply and that's just giving you another job to do because now you have to reply again (laughs) so I'm like my god it just never ends. It is the, the kind of never ending tasks thing. Yeah, I've definitely found quite hard. I think looking back at kind of the trajectory of my life in terms of like, and I mean, I'm happy with where I ended up eventually, but getting through university and stuff was a bit of a mess, to be honest, at times, because the first course I was doing, I ended up leaving after at kind of at Christmas um, in my second year managed to kind of almost blag my way through the first year and I like I did okay to be fair but it was very much the like the panicked like starting to write your essay at 9pm in the library the night before and you know staying there till 4am when it's finished because that's the only option and I think being in university was was so so different to like I stayed in sixth form at my school because I knew that if I went to like a bigger college you just you don't have the same relationships and you don't get the same like FaceTime with people and even at that stage like I knew that I wouldn't thrive in that environment so going to uni and being on like quite a big course and it was the kind of one where you know you you'd have like a tutor technically but you were kind of supposed to go to a meeting with like three other people once every two weeks and half the time like you turn up and they weren't even there because they were busy doing something else like there was just nobody to notice me falling through the cracks when it's that kind of like intense workload as well it doesn't take very long of that happening before you're in a real hole that you just don't feel like you can get out of um and that's kind of what happened to me yeah as soon as I went into second year of uni and things just got it was just the work that you couldn't do last minute and yeah it did just feel like I kind of slid off the face of of where it was workable kind of thing and I got really really depressed it was just awful it wasn't wasn't a good experience at all but you know through 
the good grace of the universe and the support of my family and all the rest of that kind of thing, I I ended up leaving that course and uh, I switched to do undergraduate teaching. Teaching was what I actually wanted to end up doing in the first place. Um, that was always my plan, but I was going to kind of do the degree then PGCE thing and actually scrap that. And I went to do undergraduate teaching and I, it was a very small class of people. You just, you had a lot of FaceTime and people would notice immediately if you weren't kind of keeping up or you you weren't doing what you needed to do yeah it was just an environment that I was able to to work in much better not that it wasn't stressful but um looking at it through the lens of ADHD now it's so textbook so so obvious that I I can't believe almost that it took another sort of 11 or 12 years before anyone <laughs> before I just can't believe through through all that time nobody looked at me and went hmm there might be might be some something going on here but that's because yeah it's you know what we could have conversations about all day is that you know people who looked like me and acted like me and all the rest of it weren't supposed to have ADHD and that wasn't what people were looking for so yeah the the falling through the cracks thing feels feels very accurate in that respect like I feel like I was able to kind of mask and cope for a long time like through school and academically until suddenly like it just didn't fly and I absolutely fell off a cliff. I think it's interesting isn't it because that experience would have been one of the things presumably that led to your diagnosis in terms of that sort of corroborating evidence. Obviously ideal that you hadn't had to go through that that would be better. That would have been nice yeah but then you know it's one of it's one of those things that's just how life works isn't it like had had that not happened I'm sure that a great many good things then wouldn't have happened afterwards. Like that, you know, that that maybe had to happen for me to end up where I am now. I find that a helpful way to look at things just because, you know, I don't I don't love, you know, dwelling on, well, I wish that hadn't happened to me and that was really sad and I wish that hadn't happened and maybe this would have happened. But you know, I, I don't find that a helpful exercise. So yeah, I try not try not to sit in those feelings for, for very long, if at all, to be honest. One last question. What would you say to either a parent or a friend or a partner of someone who's been diagnosed with ADHD? What sort of thing would you like to hear yourself or someone with ADHD and you would sort of impart that as a as a kind of helpful guidance? One of the nicest things that a family member said to me was like, I'm really proud of you, which is such like a simple, a simple thing, but in that context felt really felt really special because it wasn't kind of a you know proud of you for for coping with it for this long or or proud of you for a particular task but it was kind of like knowing the the sort of emotional toll of like going through that diagnosis process and slogging through and kind of finding out more of that about myself and yeah landing with a diagnosis at the end because it's it is one of those things it's quite I mean, I've definitely said this before, it's quite different to something like being diagnosed with depression because that nobody says you've got depression, you'll have it for the rest of your life. Like that's that's generally not not how we look at these things and it's very treatable. Whereas something like ADHD, it's like, well, that's how your brain works. That's always how your brain's going to work. You can learn to cope with it or not, but it, it is what it is kind of thing. I don't know. I think I think what means a lot is where people have really like made an effort to try and understand me or just try and understand it in general a little bit. And there are 
quite good resources and of, of course none of them are one size fits all but for example you know if you google undiagnosed ADHD in women there's there's so so many things where people have, have written up and there's so much of it that I think you could very much look at and identify things about me quite easily so where kind of people have bothered to do that yeah just just understand me a little bit like I know I've I've had conversations where yeah there was someone in my family was also in the conversation somebody said something and they were like yeah it's not like she's got ADHD or anything and we're kind of kind of like like defending something that I found hard and it wasn't me that had to defend it and explain why it was why that thing might be difficult for me or like they were just kind of saying well let's not do that because she's probably going to find that quite hard or like quite you know difficult to keep on top of and it just it makes you feel quite just validated and it's, it's quite touching that you know someone's bothered to understand you in that way and also stick up for you it's that was yeah was a really nice thing essentially I mean like anyone advocating for me I'm not even sure I can cope anymore with that it's like (laughs) I'll just probably burst into tears because you go for so long don't you being the one who tries to explain the thing constantly and defending yourself and all those things that if somebody else is like already preempting I mean god that's like how how much of a love language is that like just oh Gemma it's been such an absolute delight to speak to you um, and thank you so much for sharing so generously you too thank you really enjoyed it thank you so much for joining me and this amazing community of people we would absolutely love it if you could follow is it my adhd wherever you get your podcasts from and now i'd love to hear from you what else would you like to see explored in future episodes? Follow me on Instagram at isitmyadhd and at Grace Timothy Writer to continue the conversation.